Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Cloudy skies. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, June 7th, Atlanta Motor Speedway will host the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500, the track's first race since the COVID-19 pandemic brought all sporting events to a stop. But with this race, it will be unlike any other in the track's history. We're not thrilled about having a race with with no fans in the stands, but we are thrilled about the opportunity that has been presented to us to be an industry that is the first to bring live sports back to our country and back to countries across the, the globe. That's coming up in just a moment. Now for the latest information as it relates to the coronavirus here in Georgia. As of 9 a.m. today, there are 44,275 confirmed COVID-19 cases. The number of deaths statewide is reported to be 1,899, and there are 7,647 hospitalized. That's all according to the Georgia Department of Public Health, again, as of 9 a.m. today. In related news, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms says the city is ready to enter phase two of reopening. The announcement coming earlier today in a press release. Now, overall, Mayor Bottoms' plan for reopening includes five phases. During phase two, also known as the, quote, easing phase, small private gatherings of no more than 10 people are allowed if social distancing guidelines are followed. Folks are still asked to wear a mask in public and stay home if possible. There's a possibility the city could return to phase one under two conditions. One, if there's a sustained increase in new COVID cases or if hospital or critical care capacity falls below 50 percent. In other news, Atlanta Public Schools Superintendent Dr. Maria Kerstoffen says the district is facing a $50 million deficit due to the pandemic. Now, at yesterday's end-of-year town hall meeting, Dr. Kerstoffen said this will make it difficult to fulfill the governor's proposed $3,000 teacher raises. Let me be clear, the whole proposal about raises and things of that sort, that's off the table. According to Dr. Kirstoffen, the district is considering new safety measures for the upcoming academic year, including serving meals in classrooms, reducing bus loads, and staggering teachers' schedules. Now, Superintendent Kirstoffen's contract with APS ends June 30th. Incoming Superintendent Dr. Lisa Herring officially begins July 1st. And a note of disclosure, WAB's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Board of Education. And finally, free COVID-19 testing is available this week at some early voting locations. Now, testing will be offered at three polling places, South Fulton Services Center, Garden Hills Elementary School, and the Sandy Springs Library. You do not have to vote in order to be tested, and testing is not required in order to vote. Officials say testing will occur in the parking lot and will not interfere with voting operations. Tests are available now through Friday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. This is Closer Look. 
Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp recently gave NASCAR the green light to return to Georgia. Now, on May 14th, the governor announced a new plan to bring back some live sporting events this summer. The Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 will be the first professional sporting event in Georgia since the COVID-19 pandemic. This event was originally scheduled for March 15th. It will now take place June 7th at 3 p.m. But there is one major difference in this year's race, and we'll get to that in just a moment. And NASCAR and Atlanta Motor Speedway officials say they have a plan to protect the drivers, crew, and broadcast team. Joining me now to talk more about it is the Executive Vice President and General Manager of Atlanta Motor Speedway, Brandon Hutchinson. Brandon, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Well, hey, I appreciate you having me today. It's uh, it's an honor to speak with you. And, uh, you know, hey, just looking forward to getting cars back on track at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Getting those cars back on track. Brandon, I know you've been around NASCAR for a long time. Have you ever been around where there were no fans? Because that's what's going to be different this time. You know, no, I haven't been around <laughs> with no fans. You know, as as a member of the entertainment industry, we try to do our very best to prepare for any situation. And this one has presented itself as a situation that uh, nobody ever thought we would face. So, no, nothing like it. Now, I know obviously being a part of the NASCAR family and this is the decision that's been made, but... Can you even think of a way that it could have worked to have some fans in the stands or it just was impossible given the current state that not only the nation but the entire world is in? You know, it, it it's such a difficult question to answer. Could we have, you know, if we could have, we certainly would have. Mm-hmm. We're race fans at heart and it's bittersweet for us to have to open the doors welcome in NASCAR and put on competition without the fans. But, you know, right now with with so many things changing in our environment for the health and safety of, of not just the competitors and the essential workers that will be on site, but for the safety of our community, the smartest thing right now to do as, as we've worked closely with local and and state health officials was to host the event without fans. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about preparation, Brandon, because it may seem simplistic. Someone says, "Okay, you just let the drivers come in with their pit crews and what have you. But you all still um, had to put in some preventive and safety measures. Take us through those. You know, first and foremost, I would be remiss if I didn't thank Governor Brian Kemp for working so closely with us and giving us the opportunity to to be able to host the event. NASCAR has, since this all started, NASCAR has put together a team of medical officials. Epidemiologists have been looking at the current situations and what is the best protocol for us to to be able to host this event. And Mm -hmm. I'm not a medical expert, so I'll let them answer the questions on specifics as it relates to medical testing and, and whatnot. But I can tell you that everyone will be screened prior to entering the facility. Um, we will have social distancing measures in place. With no fans, we can spread out. So mm-hmm. garage area will be different. Um, parking areas for the essential workers will be different. We will have hand wash stations. We'll have hand sanitizer for the competitors and the staff that will be on hand. Um, you know, and, and we'll, we'll wear masks, different PPEs mm-hmm. for different folks that will be on hand. 
We'll have separate restrooms for each of the teams to be able to utilize. So we're taking quite a few measures to make sure that those on hand are able to stay as safe as possible. And what percentage or how many of the regular Atlanta Motor Speedway employees and staff will be needed for this race? Well, typically you're looking at north of 3,000 event workers to put on an event, a NASCAR event at Atlanta Motor Speedway. For the race, for the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 on June 6th and 7th, you'll see less than 900 folks um, on hand to put it on. And you got to remember that 40 teams coming on board with 22 crew members apiece uh, will make up the significant number of people that will be on hand. And again, they'll be socially distanced and, and won't be able to interact with other teams or even with some of their own team members. Um, but from a NASCAR standpoint, from an Atlanta Motor Speedway standpoint, um, it's going to be a very, very reduced number. Our entire full-time staff won't even be on hand. Brandon, have you all had to furlough or lay off any employees during this time as well? You know, unfortunately we have. We're not unlike any other business in the state of Georgia or across the country right now. Um, it's been a, a very difficult process. You know, we're in the event business and as of March 13th, the business stopped. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately we have had to take a look at our company structure. We have had to uh, um, reduce our staff size here at Atlanta Motor Speedway as well as across our company. We've had to furlough quite a few people in our merchandising arm as well. Our hope is to bring those folks back just as soon as we possibly can. But again, we're not unlike any other business across the, the country right now. It's been a very difficult time. And Brandon, I want to switch gears for a moment, so to speak, no pun intended. And someone listening may say, you know what? This doesn't really benefit the fans. It may benefit NASCAR, the sport, because of rankings and drivers. We all know what they're going for at the end is to be the champion. So this really only benefits, I guess, the drivers. And at the end of the day, it is about they have to get their points. They're trying to rise up in the standing. So, Well, I, I, very good question. And, and I think that benefit would be in the eye of the beholder, right? You know, so... Um, while again, we're race fans at heart and we're a world-class entertainment facility that thrives on the social connections of our events. So we're not thrilled about having a race with, with no fans in the stands, but we are thrilled about the opportunity that has been presented to us to be an industry that is the first to bring live sports back to our country and back to countries across the, the globe. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very big responsibility on a, on a safety front. And we're trying to be as smart as we possibly can along those lines. But as you know, sporting events, live sporting events have, have been the, the, the thread that has brought our country closer together has bound us together coming out of adversity, whether it's a war mm -hmm. most recently, um, you know, 9-11, mm -hmm. Hurricane Katrina, some of the first things that gave us an opportunity to press pause on all of the things not going right in our world and be able to kick back, sit around with your family and uh, enjoy live sports. It just gives you a, a little bit of time to 
not have to worry about what's going on around mm -hmm. you. So while, again, we don't want to ever have to put on events without fans in our stands, we are um, very honored to be able to bring some sense of relief, some sense of normalcy in live sporting events to people across the world. The voice you hear is the executive vice president and general manager of Atlanta Motor Speedway, Brandon Hutchinson. And we're talking about how the Speedway's plans for hosting the annual Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 race will take place in June. This time a little different with no fans. Let's talk dollars and cents for a second, Brandon. Will you all make any money? You know, um, we will, you know, there are television contracts mm -hmm. in place, so we will see some revenue from that. Um, and, you know, we have sold a bunch of tickets to the previous scheduled uh, March 13th through the 15th race. So we will we have approached our fans and giving given them the opportunity to receive 120 percent credit for all of those tickets. Okay. So we will be able to retain some of that revenue. Mm -hmm. um, but right now, I think that uh, the jury's still out just on how much money will be made. It won't be the same as it would be for a normal NASCAR event. I can promise you that. And listen, how do you keep away those fans who say, oh, we're just going to hang out outside the track and maybe see Harvick or something like that? <laughs> you know, how do you keep them away, man? Well, it, it, it's going to be a very interesting process. We sit on 850 acres, mm -hmm. so there are a lot of a lot of ways to access the facility. Unfortunately, again, we're, we're going to have to restrict access to the entire property. You know, we want to do everything within our power to keep the community safe and to be able to keep the competitors and the essential workers safe so that we can effectively put on this event. So we will we will be blocking the entrances. We'll have uh, local law enforcement on hand as well, um, not to harass people, not to give people a hard time. That's sure. the last thing we would ever want to do. Uh, but just to make sure that uh, that the perimeter of the facility is is kept free of of fans coming onto the property. Any idea, and, and I know this is probably way above you, but any idea when NASCAR might be thinking about letting some fans or letting fans experience NASCAR again the way that they've been used to for so, so many years? You know, I... I the short answer would be as soon as possible. <laughs> uh, I've been a part of this sport for 25 years now, and I can tell you that there is no greater sense of satisfaction for Speedway Motorsports or the industry as a whole, whether it be NASCAR or independent tracks, or again, our company, Speedway Motorsports, to be able to welcome those, those fans into our facilities. You know, you look at the weeknight races that are taking place right now, and the, the, the one thing missing other than the fans in the stands is the ability to camp uh, mm -hmm. around the facility. Our sport is synonymous with family, patriotism, and so we want those fans back, not just in our grandstands, but in our campgrounds so that they can have a weekend of fun with their family. I can't answer when that will happen, but I can tell you that, that Steve Phelps, the president of NASCAR, Marcus Smith, the CEO of Speedway Motorsports and others are, are looking forward to that day as soon as it can possibly happen. 
Now, there have been, I think this past weekend, although it was delayed by weather, Charlotte, there was Charlotte a Motor Speedway, the Coca-Cola 600 was yeah. this weekend. Yes, ma'am. Have you spoken to or did you take any tips from the other race that just previously happened in Charlotte? We will absolutely be speaking to Greg Walter, the GM at Charlotte Motor Speedway. His staff are still actually in the middle of putting on their races. They had the Coca-Cola 600 race on Sunday night. They had the uh, Ausco 300 Xfinity race last night. They've got the truck race tonight. And then they have another cup race uh, tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. So they've actually had several days of racing. I will debrief with Greg Walter just as soon as he can come up for, for air a little bit. Um, uh, my counterpart at Bristol Motor Speedway, Jerry Caldwell, was at the race this weekend. So I'll be speaking with him. We've, we've taken some notes from what happened at Darlington um, a week ago. So we will continue to um, strengthen our plan as we move forward to make sure that the event can go on without a hitch. You just told me what NASCAR means to so many people uh, in this country and, and folks just feeling this, this spirit and what sports does for folks. Through your own reflection, whether it's about NASCAR or any other sport, what are your thoughts about this pandemic changing the way we view and enjoy sports going forward? You know, that's a very good question and not one that uh, that I know as of today um, I can even really answer. We're going to have to come out the other side of this and see what the new norm is. Um, you know, I can tell you that for, for, for me and my family, we will enjoy sport, live sporting events in venues just as soon as we possibly can. Once we, we feel like it's it's safe, once that uh, venues open their doors, I think you'll see a lot of good come of this on the back side of it in a sense of, um, I think that you'll see better processes for cleaning facilities. Mm -hmm. I think you'll see uh, better self hygiene for us as citizens in the community um, more washing hands, more uh, covering our mouths when we cough and when we sneeze. I just think that, uh, again, um, you know, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And for those of us that, um, that do enjoy live sporting events, we'll be back at it. It may take a little bit longer for some, um, but, but I think that, you know, I'm ready just as long as we can do it in a safe manner. And Brandon, I want to ask this question before I let you go, because I know that there are residents that actually live on the property in those condominiums, correct? There are 46 condominiums. Now, are you all asking them to maybe not have a big party on their balconies? Have you had conversations with the property manager or sent out letters to residents saying, look, there's a race, but, you know, don't get caught up with your best friend saying, hey, I'll just invite a couple of folks and it turns into 20 people. <laughs> You know, we have, we are the property managers. So we have reached out to all of the condominium owners and asked them um, or, or let them know that we will be limiting the groups within their condo to, to five guests. Hmm. And again, it, it's very much like the fans in our grandstands. It's something that we don't want to do, but in order for us to put on a safe event um, we're going to have to limit those numbers. So we are going to limit the numbers that can be in each condominium. And our condo owners understand. They know that it's a, um, 
it's something that we don't have. The, the, the virus is something that we don't have control of. They know that, that our heart is, is in the right place. And for us to conduct a safe event is something that we need to ask of them. All right. Now, Brandon, I have to ask you this. I asked Ed Clark when we were out there. I know that's a Chevy track, correct? It is a Chevy track. Now, but right now, the guy in the lead, he's a Ford guy, right? <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, Chevys have been very, very strong. And I think uh, Chase Elliott, um, who drives a Chevrolet Camaro, has been in the catbird seat for the last two races. And yeah. if it for unfortunate circumstances, would have most likely won the last two races. So um, while those Fords have, have been doing well, um, those Chevrolets are coming after them, and you're going to see a Chevrolet in victory lane really, really soon. All right, because I know the Kevin Harvick fans are probably going, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Harvick has a, uh, has a very strong past here at Atlanta Motor Speedway. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Brad Keselowski won the 2019 Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500. But, uh, you know, I, to me, I, I certainly do hope that our partner in Chevrolet can, can find victory lane at our race. But, again, I'm just so excited to have cars back on track. I can't wait for June 6th and 7th to, to be here. I, I wish that fans could be with us, but I hope they'll they'll watch live on Fox from their house. Stay safe and just know that as soon as we can have them back in our facility, we certainly will. And, Brandon, where will you be? on that day on race day i will be in race control um i will be one of the essential workers that's on hand during the event so i'll be in race control watching from above and uh just as excited as everybody else to see uh cars on track at atlanta motor speedway you know we've had 500 mile races each year uh consecutively since Mm -hmm. july 31st of 1960 so this is our 60th anniversary it's a little bittersweet um, but you you best believe I'll be right here watching and making sure that uh, everything goes as smoothly as it possibly can so that our fans at home can have a, uh, a fun event to watch. All right. Brandon Hutchinson, Executive Vice President and General Manager of Atlanta Motor Speedway. Brandon, best of luck to you all for that race coming up. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Rose, I appreciate you having me on today. Your time is very valuable. And for you to take some time to talk to me means a lot. Thank you very much. And I hope you have a blessed week. You too. Stay safe now. Thank you. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. As more and more businesses in the Atlanta region reopen, that means more people are returning to work. With that being said, many of these folks are parents, and those parents may need child care options. That could be challenging given many daycares, boys and girls clubs, YMCAs, YWCAs, and other child care facilities. Well, they're not open as of yet. Now, SoShine offers preschool, pre-K, and after-school care with two locations, Decatur and Kirkwood. It was one of the first local child care facilities to reopen 
after the state's shelter-in-place order was lifted. Shannon Smith is the owner and founder of Soul Shine, and when we spoke earlier this month, Shannon makes reference to not being able to have her staff tested without displaying COVID-19 symptoms. Well, a lot has changed since this conversation was recorded back on May 15th. Shannon, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Rose. I'm excited to be here. Let's just get a little backstory here. How long has Soul Shine been in operation? We celebrate 15 beautiful years in December. And are the majority of the little ones and kids, they live in surrounding neighborhoods? Yeah, I would say the majority of both of our schools are within walking communities. So most of our families bike and walk to their locations and live right around the schools. And what's the maximum enrollment of kids that your locations can accommodate? Soulshine is licensed for 91 preschool students. That is birth through age four. And we have an after-school program that has about 30 to 40 kids on it because of the daily part-time or full-time. And our Decatur location is licensed for 125 kids, and we have around 50 kids in our after-school program. In the after-school program, what's the age there that you all work with? The age group for the after-school program is pre-K through 12, but we have a lot of kids that return as junior camp counselors all the way up into Mm. high school. How many employees do you have in total? Pre-COVID, we had around 85 employees and give or take maybe five contractors. So Shannon, let's go back to March and the day when you made the decision to close. Obviously, a lot of folks had to make that decision. What did you tell your staff? You know, that was definitely the most agonizing decision to close on March 13th because I, as you know, a steward of Soulshine, knew that unless the whole state shut down and the whole country shut down, that we were getting ourselves into a situation of being closed when we could have remained open as we would wait for more information. But it felt like the right thing to do based on the fact that we, for years, have followed the school systems calendars and emergency closers. So Atlanta Public Schools and City of Decatur varied the way that they closed. However, they both chose to close for two weeks to evaluate the situation. And so I decided to go with that as we all waited with bated breath to see what was going to happen. Did this mean layoffs or were you able to still pay your employees, Shannon? I was so grateful to have carried my employees. Our first round of layoffs started about two weeks after we closed. The first employees we had to lay off were our after-school staff because it became very clear at that point that school wasn't going to go back in session. And not only that, we weren't even sure what summer camp would look like. So that was the first set of five layoffs. And then subsequently, a few days later, we called 28 employees and had to lay them off. And that was very painful. I have sent a YouTube video because we're calling everybody one-on-one and sobbing on the phone. Didn't seem like the leadership quality to bring to the table. But we were fortunate enough to be able to pay our employees for two pay periods, allowing them having paychecks for five weeks as they waited for their unemployment. So Shannon, those employees who were laid off now, did you file unemployment claims on their behalf? Are they 1099 workers? The contractors that we had were denied unemployment because they said that they had second sources of income and so they did not give it to them. How it worked for the layoffs for the employees, we walked them through the process But once we entered into our half, it was up to them to then go into the same system. But we made sure we did well-being check-ins every week and are still doing them for the employees that got laid off to ensure that they got their paperwork or if they had any hiccups. 
we were able to work through with them. Did you apply for any of the funding through the PPP? I did. I actually was able to get the PPP funding. I also got the small business grant and we are in the process of hopefully getting the invest Atlanta as well. So those are all amazing resources. We're trying to just operate off of our savings and what we're able to pull in in operations because it's debt and Soulshine, when we're at capacity, has the ability to make that debt up. But given I don't know what the future of childcare looks like, we're really hesitant to put ourselves in a position that we can't afford to pay back. Does Soulshine rent the buildings where your childcare centers are located or do you own them? I own our Kirkwood location, one building, and I rent the one that is next door. And then our Decatur location, we rent over there a total of about 20,000 square feet. So yes, we have landlords at that location. And I imagine that is probably one of your biggest expenses, if not the biggest. It is an absolute huge expense. Our landlords were gracious to give us time. However, they have the same responsibilities that they have, and they haven't gotten any relief from the government. So we were able to delay payment until we got our PPP. So we are now back paying full of operational costs as of this month. And Shannon, you know, we all know that despite Governor Kemp lifting restrictions for some businesses, a lot of owners chose not to reopen. Why did you decide to open these SoShine locations? It had two major factors. The well-being of the families and the children, you know, having to work, you're Chef Boyardee in the kitchen all day, you're trying to homeschool, you've got technical difficulties. A lot of the employers that the parents work for can be understanding, but these jobs aren't, you know, as easy when you have a child screaming in the background and the kids are trapped inside. So mental health for the families and well-being and the staff, we had staff begging to come back to work. It was really beautiful. We were able to, as we started to open back up, total we laid off 28 people and we were able to retain 68. So how we started to open was that the teachers that wanted to come back came back and the teachers who had immune compromised systems or rich public transportation or had children at home, we staggered the staff in that way. And we're trying to keep their shifts to about six hours, given the PPP measures that were we were operating under for the last two weeks, all those, those have changed. So our, our staff was excited. They miss our kids. We're family in a deep, profound way. We assist and collaborate and raise pe- children with their families and their parents, and we missed each other. The voice you hear is Shannon Smith, founder and owner of So Shine, a pre-K, preschool and after-school child care facility. And we're talking about Shannon's decision to reopen the two So Shine locations in Decatur and Kirkwood. So, Shannon, someone listening says, OK, but let's talk about protocols and extra steps that you are implementing to comply with not only social distancing and sanitation guidelines, but obviously concerns for not only the staff, but the kids. What are you all doing over there? Well, you know, one thing we had going for us to begin with is that daycares are really clean. You know, I mean, we have lots and lots of experience, all types of viruses ripping through the school. So we use a couple of measures when we have flus or the norovirus where we use JanPro, which is a company. They have an EnviroShield product where they come in and they're able to sanitize the buildings. We are encouraging parents not to enter the buildings, although I believe in the right for a parent to enter and see their classroom and 
child's teacher. We take temperatures at the door of the staff and the parents and the child. Then we take temperatures throughout the day of the staff and the children. And again, when they are picked up in the evening and the parents have been really great and taking the time to social distance in line as we're able to get these procedures going. We also have shifts now. We've shortened our day to allow for the teachers to have shorter days for mental health because of the masks. So they're able to come in 30 minutes before and clean. And in between shifts, they clean. And at the end of the day, they clean. And then we have a cleaning company come in. We've been wearing the masks and using hand sanitizer. The masks are very cumbersome, but other than that, you know, we have been trying to, it's an impossible thing to social distance children. And I don't know if that's ever going to be, even in public school. I mean, children are, it's their community. They need each other for, for their health and well-being. So it's we're figuring it out one day at a time, one step at a time, one hour at a time, most cases. Well, let's talk about that. How are you allowing the kids? Because part of being at these facilities is you get to play with other kids. You get to interact with your favorite teacher, your favorite instructor. So how are you all doing this? We're education. Our passion and our path and the pledge that we make is that we're going to give the kids a solid a foundation in which to grow in, which is health and well-being is one of Soulshine's pillars. So we are washing our hands. We are talking to them about the importance of washing their hands. We talk to them about the way germs spread. We have very small classrooms right now with very little interaction in between other groups. So we've just been utilizing, and I'm so grateful to have so much space to be able to really spread the students and teachers out. Most schools don't have the privilege of having that much space. So the kids are separated. Typically, you may have four or five kids at a little round table. You don't have that? No, if we had, let's say, if we're sitting down on the carpet, we're, we're not six feet apart, but they are spacing the kids out. So we're not creating language for them to understand why there's, because social distance is also tricky. It's, you know, more physically distance if we were to use that verbiage. It, the older children have a larger ability to comprehend, but even at home with my littles, you know, teaching them the hand washing precautions and things like that, they pick it up really quickly. I mean, they're seeing society change. They're very intuitive. Are the children wearing masks? No, the children are not wearing masks and we, they will not be wearing masks. Where I am at with the masks is I'm watching my teachers really start to struggle to breathe. You know, we have pregnant staff or asthmatic staff and they're doing manual labor. They're bending over they're, they're, It's a lot of using, you know, the, your lung capacity and the masks have been very cumbersome to that. You know, if we had access maybe to proper N95s or something like that, but we're using handmade masks and the people making these masks aren't scientists. They're just goodwill people that are trying to meet a need. And Shannon, so much has been made about concerns with folks who may not be showing symptoms of COVID-19. Do you have some concerns that you could be held liable if someone, whether it's a staff member or someone's child, contracts the virus? Rose, you know, I accept that I am a leader and I accept what comes with that. You know, I I believe that the decision and the things that we are doing in the best interest of my community, I hope that the parents that come believe the same. 
I understand that people are scared and don't know what to do. And I don't know when we'll have real numbers and have real science to back this up. So I, I choose not to live in a place of fear. And if something did happen, I, I would act in integrity as I believe I always do. But we are doing as much as we can to prevent that. And now with a new Kemp orders too, I, I actually appreciated the if you're sick, they want you to get testing, you know, so they're they're implementing things now where we are going to have more resources to get the tests if somebody is not feeling well. Thus far, we've had no positive COVID tests within our Shine community and its totality, parents, families and staff. How often will you require employees to be tested? Anyone that has had any kind of illnesses, we've had them go and get tested, you know, as soon as they were able to find one. You know, but what if they're not showing any symptoms? Do you still want your employees to be tested? If we had access to that, that would be amazing. Right now, that's not been the case, to, that we've been able to just have testing without having symptoms. Really? No, not that. I mean, we've had, when we first were going through this and we were trying to get, we had a few scares right when Soulshine closed. We had a teacher actually be hospitalized for breathing issues. And when we wanted to go and get the testing, I mean, no, it was really, really difficult. Now, things may have eased up. I think now they're encouraging everyone to go and get tested with all these testing sites around the state. That is something that I would really like to see happen, you know, and I would, I'll move forward on that immediately. We had someone who got approved to get a test and it's a 12 day turnaround. So there's also varying procedures and things that they're doing. So I guess for me as a business, I don't want to create a false sense of safety or say something that's not in true integrity and transparency. And the testing, you know, there's that the same thing with everything with COVID. It, is it working? Are you getting false positive, false negatives? I, I almost would want to have some kind of consistency with one doctor, one facility, one lab in order to really be honest with knowing is it an accurate test? I don't know. And are we going to get it back in a timely manner to where we could have our staff come in? I don't know either. Will you require parents to sign any type of liability waiver as relates to this, Janet? We did send some paperwork out. No, we did not require anyone to sign a liability waiver. I'm not really sure it would hold up as far as protecting me. Even if they did, you know, there's no anything out there for businesses right Mm -hmm. now that would protect us from this. And I don't have infectious disease insurance. Our insurance company, I'm sure like most companies felt like there's really nothing offered to us, even Mm -hmm. though we've paid into systems, we've received no direction on how to move forward in some of these situations and most of these situations, actually. Shannon, did you have some parents who said, we're just not comfortable with bringing our kids back at this point? We let everybody out of their contract immediately. We only had 39 families choose to stay on and pay a portion of the tuition in order to hold their spot. We've had parents run the gamut from, we can't wait for you to open, we're so grateful to you, to also saying, if you open, we will not be returning. We don't agree with that decision. Did you respond to those parents? And if so, what'd you say? We understand and respect what you need to do, you know, but Soulshine is going to open and we are going to do what we can for the community that we serve in the safest way possible. And I wish them all the best. It breaks my heart to see a family go, but I also understand that every family is a universe and needs to do what's best for them. And it's really hard right now to make that choice. Shannon, are you following the state's guidelines on this? Or are you paying attention to other science, which you know, a lot of folks says is in contradiction with what the state is doing in terms of their reasoning for reopening? 
I try to follow more local news and the CDC. So I'm going to still operate in the way that we have been and continue to do these sanitation measures and continue to keep our classes very small and our parents informed and taking temperatures and doing what we can until, again, we can get some real direction or some real support from the government to change or make the decisions that science can back up. If a staff member, yourself, a child who's coming to one of your centers or someone that they live with and you all find out has contracted the virus, would that spur you to close the locations for a time being? Well, right now, because of the structure of how we are running the schools, it would really depend. We are not allowing anyone into the classrooms unless they are the teachers. We're not allowing part-time children right now. The parents are respecting the not coming in. They're coming to the door. So I would really, since that hasn't happened yet, I don't know exactly what would happen. But with us being so contained, the spread in that way would be hard, I guess. I don't know because, again, I'm taking all the advice that I'm trying to collect on my own. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, Rose, I would have to consider that. And what we've done this whole time is survey our parents, survey, 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 get their feedback, get their input, get their comfort level. Soulshine's diversifying the way that we do business. We're now, we created a company called Soulshine Stewards that's going to be doing nanny shares for families where they can be quarantined at their home and still get child care. But that will be helpful to the families because they will be vetted by Soulshine background check. So we're trying to diversify to meet the needs of the families that do feel vulnerable to come to the schools and are not ready to make that choice. And finally, you and I both know how much fun, whether it's day camp or sleepaway camp is, you all offer some type of day camp in the summer, correct? We do. We're going to start the camps next week, but it won't be the full summer camps. Mm-hmm. Now, the again, with the new executive order, it's changed. They are doing group capacities of 20 and things like that. Soulshine is not ready for that and won't be for weeks. I was just come. about to ask you, are you ready yeah, for no that? Yeah, no way are we ready for that. Yeah, so we are going to just be operating in our small groups. I live on a farm, and it's about 50 minutes from Atlanta. So if we do field trips, it would only be to my farm. You know, we're not ready to go to public parks yet or, you know, the zoo's opening back up. And we're also, with the campers, it's a lot easier to help them understand and to educate them on the safety measures in a way in which doesn't scare them and doesn't make them feel isolated And when we've already been living a very isolated life for months. And a good time to come up with a great hand-washing song. Shannon Smith is the owner and founder of Soul Shine. Shannon, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Keep us posted on any decisions that you make. Oh, I will, Rose, and thank you so much for shining a light on our industry. We definitely appreciate it. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Now, those of you who are faithful listeners know that normally around this time of year, here on Closer Look, we talk to graduates as they embark on their new journeys. However, this year's journey is a little bit different for a lot of graduates because there was no traditional ceremony. And it's a little different for this class of 2020. Most graduation ceremonies have gone virtual and many students completed their coursework online instead of in the classroom. That's the case for Georgia State University. On behalf of the entire Georgia State community, its faculty, staff, and alumni, 
I extend our most sincere congratulations and express our hope that you'll always remain an active member of the Georgia State family. We'll see you, the members of the class of 2020, at our in-person graduation ceremonies later this year. Congratulations. Now, that was President Mark Becker addressing graduates at the university's virtual ceremony that took place on May 6. And now, although graduates can't join me in studio, we still want this tradition to continue. And this is a little bit different. So joining me now to share his story is David Gaines. He's 16 years old. He's the youngest graduate candidate in Georgia State University Perimeter College's class of 2020. But his accomplishments aren't stopping there, and I'll let him tell you why. David, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having, letting me have this opportunity. It's great to be here. And I attended GSC Perimeter, mm -hmm. started at 14, 2018, and I was pursuing my associates first. And I started at Perimeter because it was much closer and, mm -hmm. I, wanted, and I was homeschooled. So I wanted to have that still that small classroom setting so I could adjust to going to that big downtown campus. So now in the fall, that's where I will be going get my bachelor's and then or, and I graduate in spring of 2021 then med school so david right now i understand you are studying for the mcat yes and when do you take that june 5th you ready yes <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about your journey so far when we opened the conversation you you laid out what your plans were you've always known at an early age this is the path you wanted to take in the medical field i'd say I always since Five years old, I'm my first pediatrician appointment, and I just always wanted to go into medicine. I always wanted to help people, and that, that passion has never faded. At first, I wanted to be a pediatrician, but as I grew older, I found a more of a passion in neurology, and that's who I currently want to be, is a neurosurgeon and neurologist. So you knew at the age of five that there was something about this environment, this space that you wanted to work in. Helping people, not just helping people from like behind the screen. I want to be able to physically help people and not just people who are sick, but also their family members because there's emotional and physical healing. Yeah. Let's talk about that transition you talked about. You know, you were homeschooled, but then you had to make this transition to, you know, taking classes on campus. What was that like for you and how did you prepare for that? Honestly, I didn't, there wasn't really anywhere to prepare this. I was in public school. I started homeschooling after the third grade. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was acclimated to public school setting. Going to college, it was a bit different since my peers would be much older. But honestly, being in an environment, it was actually much more comfortable for me, and I enjoyed it a lot. I think Perimeter offers a great adjustment for new students, especially if, like your high schoolers or homeschooling students, because it is such a small classroom setting. And you can develop a great relationship with those professors and other office faculty members. Was there an adjustment process for you because you talked about, you know, being younger than most of your classmates? How did you maneuver through that? Well, since I was homeschooled, my sister, she was a STEM, she was also in STEM, mm -hmm. and I was always around her and listening to her. I think that's why I got my love from biology from as well. So I was always acclimated to being around people much older than me. So it was not much of an adjustment process. And David, I understand mm -hmm. also that your passion and your desire to work in the medical field also is personal for you, correct? Yes, it my mom, I had my sister, she had, an, she had a brain tumor mm -hmm. and I also have some medical conditions like asthma. And so I also, I know personally how it is going from the hospital and I want to be able to help people because I know it can be very emotionally challenging going to and from the hospital. So being able to help that process be easier and then having a doctor that listens to you, I think that's very important. So I want to be able to help those people as much as I can and get again, hands-on experience. Let's talk about your mom for a moment and what, <laughs> what it means to have her 
along this journey for you? You're not finished. You're still going. But what does it mean to have mom along? I will say right now, I could not do any of this without my mom. She, I asked her in third grade, mom, can I homeschool? And she was so supportive. And of course, it's a team effort. If I, if I don't put in my part, I have, she puts in her part every time. If I ask something, she would do it and give 110%. So of course, I will give 110% back. She has been so supportive. She helps me find these opportunities. She never lets me give up. It's always great. And she and one thing I will say is she never pressures me into medicine. Mm-hmm. This has always been a passion. I know some people can feel very pressured by family members, but she's always been supportive. Say, if you want to change, if you want to go into any other field, you can. Mm. So it's great having that support system. And for my other family members, like my aunt and my sister. So in the fall now, you are going to move to Georgia State's campus downtown. Any concerns about being, you won't be too far from mom, though. We're actually relatively close to downtown. I'm, this semester, I took classes downtown, two classes downtown, and it wasn't much of a transition process. I think because I was at Perimeter for so long that I was more acclimated to the 100, 100 student body mm-hmm. in a classroom. Let me get your take on this pandemic, David, because you are a, a future medical scientists in in a sense. So what has been your takeaway about this virus for you? I knew when it was starting, I was very concerned about it because of the most transmission it had. It could spread so easily. Mm-hmm. And then once it progressed, I believe on March 12th, when they said we we're going to cancel graduation, I really knew then this is going to be something very serious. Mm-hmm. And it has a personal impact as some family members have lost their jobs because of this virus. Mm-hmm. I think a one important takeaway is for microbial community, unfortunately, it isn't glamorous. So it isn't in the news a lot until it's too late where it's a pandemic. I think if we put more emphasis on how microbes work and how they can spread, we can prevent this from happening again, or at least lower the impact it has where the, the economy is falling because of people are losing jobs. Now, so many people are having to file for unemployment mm-hmm. because of a simple microbe. And so, David, I want to be very clear. I understand that, and I'm not, I'm not going to say you want to be, but you're going to be a neurologist, mm-hmm. a neurosurgeon, and an yes. attorney specializing in health sector law and policy. I was attending an event in Fulton County CEOs of Tomorrow Conference. They had a law section of it. And I really had just found a passion in that. And my, I really want to focus on medical malpractice, mm-hmm. especially helping underrepresented minorities who don't get proper treatment. Mm-hmm. So I actually have a friend now who's t- helping me with Spanish. I want to be able to help people who are non-native speakers to get the rights they deserve for medical malpractice. David, you're going to do a lot in life. <laughs> Thank you. As we wrap up, what is your message about having a passion and being able to see that through, even though there might be some challenges along the way. But what is your message about taking your passion and that passion becoming the work that you do? Everything always seems like it's such a long way. But I have to say one of the ways it's been easiest is there's little bits like taking taking my first biology class makes it seem like, okay, I can actually do this. It doesn't (laughs) seem like just a dream or, and then meeting your friends who also support you, your family when you get support. I'll say just never giving up. But if you do feel like you're going to burn out, Take some time to relax, take a, take a step back. That's something that's important. And I've always asked my mentors is, if you, how do you overcome burnout? Because mm-hmm. burnout will happen, but it's just overcoming it. That's the process. Taking a step away, finding another hobby, just whatever works for you to overcome that burnout. Well, let me ask you this, David. What do you do in your downtime? How do you balance this incredible coursework <laughs> and then with just being a typical 16-year-old? 
Well, spending other than watching movies and watching TV with my mom, my other family members, and playing with my dogs, I actually do play video games. And we I used to attend tournaments before we, everything was shut down because mm -hmm. of the pandemic. That was one of my downtime hobbies. And I would say I also like reading a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, what's your video game? What's it? Uh, I used to play I can't think, Smash Brothers. That was definitely one thing that's helped me a lot. <laughs> well, David, um, best of luck to you. I appreciate you taking the time. David Gaines, the youngest graduate candidate in Georgia State University Perimeter class of 2020. And David is on his way to Georgia State. David, best of luck to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And say hi to your mom. Oh, well, she's right. Do they say, hey, want to come on? Yeah, come on, Mom. Mom, okay. Mom, also known as Pamela. David yeah. said some wonderful things about you being a part of his journey. What do you want to say about David? Uh, he has been, um, since he was five years old, he's always known what he's wanted to do. He, You know, when he was five, we uh, had left the doctor's appointment. And as soon as he got back in the car, he said, I want a stethoscope, that thing she wears around her neck, the hammer, which and the um, white coat. <laughs> So he's always been um, a hard worker. The challenge has been for me mm -hmm. is, you know, <laughs> reminding people that there's still a child in this young man's body when you've got a nine-year-old that has completed a 10 or 11-page research paper. All right. Well, Pamela and David, best of luck to you both. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. David, we're all proud of you. Thank you Thank so you much so for much. having him on. All right. Y'all take care. You too. You too. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash closerlook. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.